0: Daverhood. Welcome, everyone, on this Saturday morning, December 8th, 2012, to the 403rd episode of Dave's Gone By. Three hours of humor, talk, music, interviews, and more that we've been doing for you For more than 10 years, started back in October 2002 on a small Long Island radio station. Now we're here in Greeley, Colorado at the University of Northern Colorado, thrilled to be here. I'm Dave Lefkowitz, and I host and produce Dave's Gone By and try to make your three hours pass pleasantly, interestingly, and differently on the radio waves. Here's what we've got coming to you over the next couple of hours here on uncradio.com. First of all, I'll be talking with John Goodman. And no, no, don't don't get all excited. It's not the guy from Roseanne and not the Big Lebowski fella. But you can still get excited about something else. See, John Goodman, J-O-N, by the way, is how he spells his first name. John Goodman is the son of a fella named Dickie Goodman. If that doesn't ring a bell, I guess you're a lot younger than I am. But if you are my age, which is late 40s or older, you'll know that Dickie Goodman was kind of a novelty rocket, in a manner of speaking. Nobody had ever heard of him, and yet he put together this novelty record in 1956 called The Flying Saucer. In fact, it was was on a 45, so there was a Part 1 and a Part 2 for the A-side and the B-side. And what was different about this comedy novelty record is it wasn't a song and it wasn't a comedy routine. It wasn't a stand-up bit or two guys trading you know, stuff back and forth. It was an early sampler or sampling, break-in, almost mashup kind of a record, which meant that as part of the comedy that he was doing, he was making believe that he was a reporter who was reporting on the fact that aliens were coming to America not not aliens from mexico but but aliens from outer space were taking over they were invading, which was this big deal in the 1950 s when we weren't so worried about the Russians you know slamming us with their giant uh, nuclear shoe, we were apparently obsessed with flying saucers and rockets and things landing in Roswell and you know three headed ets coming out of the woodwork and so Dickie Goodman played on this concept. And again, instead of just making a regular comedy record about it, he took this idea of a reporter running out, trying to interview the Martians and interview the people who were scared of the Martians. And every time he would ask a question, the answer would be a line snipped from a hit pop song of the day. And so he would would say something, then you'd hear a line of the song, then he'd say something else, you'd hear a line of the song. And he put together this, this... two-and-a-half-minute clip, there's this whole record of it, and it created this new idea of a comedy novelty record, of, of how that could be put together and thought about. Now, he wasn't the first to do this sort of thing. I mean, there, there's a recording of um, the Happiness Boys, going back to the 1920s on 78, where they were making fun of typical radio programs of the day. And so they'd be using a lot of sound effects like the sound of a radio tuning or parts of a song and then they come out of it. So yeah, it wasn't a completely new idea. And yet Thinkie Goodman refined it, made it very popular for the fifties, had this huge hit, and somewhat controversial hit, with this flying saucer record, because all the artists and record companies that were sampled on this record, they wanted royalties and they started suing him left and right, and that became a whole thing. Anyway, it was such a big hit and such a cool idea for him that Dickie Goodman went on to make many, many more of these kinds of records over the years, well into the 60s and 70s and even 1980s. And even had one or two more really big hits with it. Um, what he did with the money from those hits, well, we're going to find out. From his son, John Goodman, who wrote a biography about his dad. It's actually an autobiography about himself, but he, he's really more talking about his relationship with his father, Dickie Goodman. And also, John Goodman has put together a, um, a compilation disc of his dad's greatest hits. And we'll certainly be playing a bunch of tracks from that when John Goodman is in the neighborhood. Oh, when is he coming? It's going to be about 45 minutes from now is when he'll be with us. But anyway, if if your parents are listening, you know, if, if you're a young person at UNC, you tell your folks, they might be interested in hearing this. Get them on uh, the uh, the internets to hear this program because they're going to want to hear John Goodman talk about his father, the king of novelty, Dickie Goodman, on Dave's Gone By. But beyond that, on this program, we'll also have um, our spiritual leader, Rabbi Saul Solomon, visiting, since this is really sliding right into the holiday time for us, because not only have we just finished classes, and now we've got into finals week at UNC, and then Christmas holidays are coming soon, and then Chanukah, the Jewish holiday, starts tonight. And so Rabbi Saul Solomon is here to offer his rabbinical reflection about the Festival of Lights, the miracle. Of Hanukkah, as only Rabbi Saul Solomon can put it. So stick around for that. Also, we'll have the news gone by, a look at crazy events in the world around us from a skewed perspective. We will have our weekly Bob Dylan segment, Bob Dylan, sooner and later. That's where we play songs from all different times of Dylan's career, from the earliest almost homemade kitchen recordings to his very most recent album, Tempest, and bootlegs, and official bootlegs, and all the stuff in between Bob Dylan sooner and later and the topic will be finals, in honor of everybody taking finals this week at UNC. Also, did I cover everything? We'll be going inside Broadway for news coming out of Broadway and off-Broadway, and maybe some Colorado theater as well. And if that weren't enough for a packed show, here, this Saturday morning, on Dave's Gone By. We'll begin with our Saturday segue of the week. We we usually do one or two of these, where we play a bunch of songs around a certain theme, and today's theme, unfortunately, sadly, is the passing of David Warren Brubeck, a.k.a. Dave Brubeck. He died on uh, this, when was it, December 5th, so that would have been three days ago. American jazz pianist and composer... People don't, I guess, realize that he was already well-recorded and very well-regarded even before he changed the whole jazz musical landscape and crossed very strongly into the pop charts, however briefly, with that whole Time Out record and Take Five and Blue Rondo a la Turk. He, it wasn't like he came out of nowhere and did those songs and it's like, whoa, no, he, he'd been making records, I think, since the... Um, it's not the 1940s, certainly the, the very early 1950s. And so um, the, what, what, what does one say about Dave Brubeck except that he recorded for about six decades? I mean, he was active up until just now, just like the 90s. He is the winner of the National Medal of Arts from the National Endowment for the Arts back in 1994. He got a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award back in 1996. He has an honorary doctorate from the University of Freiburg in Switzerland. Uh, BBC gave him a Jazz Lifetime Achievement Award. He's in the California Hall of Fame. He got the Kennedy Center Honor in 2009. Very nice of, him, of, of them to give him that. And very, very well deserved. Um, so what we're going to play is a few different songs from different times in Dave Brubeck's career. We'll hear, of course, some of the classics from Time Out, and his time signature thing as well, uh, the, the, his major or most famous contribution to jazz, as well as some of the things that he was doing uh, that, that was, were kind of neat. I mean, we think of the Beatles as being these trendsetters of bringing other sounds into the pop realm. So the Beatles would go to India, and there'd be a sitar. Or they use a Greek bazooki on the song Girl and Whoa wow we can we can take these things from other cultures and use them. Well, Brubeck was doing that, going to these different countries and coming out with albums, jazz impressions of Eurasia and jazz impressions of San Francisco and New York and, and wherever he'd go. He'd soak that in and then come out with these things that were informed by his travels and his trips. So it was kind of important doing that, too. But enough enough talk about Brubeck for the moment. Let's hear the music, because I want to play a bit of it. The late, great Dave Brubeck, who died on December 5th here. My God, it was just one day shy of his birthday. How sad is that? Anyway, um, I think he would have been 92. Let's begin with a song called Theme from Elementals. This is from one of the several albums that he did about time changes, where he was experimenting with time signatures, not 4-4 to the bar, not the 3-3 waltz to the bar, but all these different other kinds of signatures. This is Theme from Elementals. Brubeck, there, of course. Take five, which is in five, four time. I mean, if you start to think about it, then it all kind of falls apart unless you're a music major or some genius in mathematics. If you start to have to count like one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, the music loses it. You just get involved in just trying to keep a rhythm. But if you just go with the melody, which is the genius of that song, which by the way, was written by Paul Desmond, not Dave Brubeck. Brubeck is the pianist on it. That was a Desmond composition. But, you know, you you leave the counting aside and you just go with the melody and you don't even realize that it's such an unusual tempo. And even today, I mean, almost, it's almost never used in pop music. Everything is either in four, four, or variations of that, or if it's in waltz tempo, it's 3-4, 1-2-3, 1-2-3. So for Brubeck to go 1-2-3-4-5 in Take 5 was revolutionary, in a way. And the very fact that it crossed over into the pop charts and became as much a song of its era. I mean, you can't hear that song and not think of late-night rainy New York cab drivers and pool halls and... Cool people sneaking around the back of clubs for you know a not necessarily legal cigarette. I mean that's the the feeling of take five. Or you listen to the song we played just before that, Blue Rondo à la Turk, from the same album. And that's I forget what it is. I, I, don't, I don't even know. And if I start to count, I'll get lost. And It's like I mean if you think of the, the da no big deal. You start to try and count it out you get lost. The beauty of Dave Brubeck and the Dave Brubeck Quartet, which he had until 1967, and then he went off to pursue even other further realms of modern and progressive jazz. So I, I, I admit we played a bit of earlier stuff in the Brubeck canon, mostly his quartet things, in our Saturday segue dedicated to the late Mr. B. We started with Theme from Elementals, And you can tell that even that one, which starts in a typical waltz time, moves into something else. Dave Brubeck doing Unsquare Dance. That's the one with the the clappings. Very catchy little number. Then one song from Dave Diggs, excuse me, Dave Diggs, Disney. So a a bunch of kind of recalibrations of uh, Walt Disney recordings there. Dave Brubeck, Blue Rondo a la Turk, and then Take Five, the classic, the, the one ineffable contribution to modern music in general, not just jazz, not just pop. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think America would have been the same without Take Five by Brubeck. Dead at the age of ninety one and three hundred and sixty four days. Died he was actually going to a doctor's appointment for his heart, when his heart gave out, one day shy of his ninety second birthday, just three days ago. So farewell To the late, extraordinarily great Dave Rubek from here, from from all America, and from here on Dave's Gone By on UNC Radio, the radio station of the University of Northern Colorado. I'm Dave Lefkowitz, and you're listening to my show, which airs 10 to 1 in the afternoon every Saturday morning on uncradio.com. Coming up in the show, we do have John Goodman, not Again, not John Goodman from Roseanne, but John Goodman, the son of novelty record pioneer Dickie Goodman. More about that anon. We'll also have our Bob Dylan Sooner and Later segment, which I know our general manager, Sam Wood, is so happy about, (laughs) because... It's a running gag we have, and, and Sam's here in the studio. So I'll be sure to tell him when the Dylan is on. And then Rabbi Sal Solomon talking about Hanukkah. We'll have a Saturday segue, if there's time, of Hanukkah-related music. Um, we'll also go in, uh, excuse me, for our News Gone By segment to look at the world from a skewed perspective. But let's, let's get into our Inside Broadway segment, which we do. It's sponsored by Total Theater. Which is a website of theater reviews and articles and features and interviews that is absolutely free. Anyone can use it at totaltheater.com. And you can spell theater any way you want to, totaltheater.com. You go there to the Criticopia section. And you can read reviews of the latest Broadway and Off-Broadway shows, plus shows from all over the country, Milwaukee, Los Angeles, all over the world, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and shows being done in places like Italy and France and the Far East. Amazing stuff, and it's all at the click of a finger on TotalTheatre.com. Check it out. And also, the Inside Broadway segment of Dave's Gone By is brought to you by Performing Arts Insider, the Bible of Broadway since 1944. This is a hard copy journal. It's an old-fashioned thing that you, you get in the mail, and you can read at the breakfast table, on the train, on the toilet, wherever you have paper that you still actually look at, that you're not clicking away on a screen. And it is the journal that people in the entertainment industry use to know exactly what's going on on the stages of New York, on, off and off-off-Broadway, as well as cabaret, opera, dance, and special events. There are chronological listings and also very in-depth alphabetical listings of every single show that is either playing or is going to play in New York, plus contact information for the actors and the designers and the directors and the producers and the stage managers, all those folks that, if you're in the business, you want to get in touch with somehow. So you get the email addresses, you get the phone numbers, and you can say people who get this magazine are like the bookers and coordinators for talk shows on TV. And they say, oh my gosh, so-and-so's coming to Broadway. How do I contact them? Oh, there's their agent's number. Great. Boom. It saves them a lot of time and a lot of effort. And so people pay a lot for Performing Arts Insider Theater Journal, but it's worth every penny to them. And it might just be to you. For more information, go to PerformingArtsInsider.com. Anyway, those are the sponsors of Inside Broadway, our weekly segment of theater news and reviews. No reviews this week, but there's a bit of news, and most of it bad, coming from Broadway. Whether it's just one of those things that a lot of shows open in the fall and they can't all be successes, or whether it's Hangover from Hurricane Sandy that was just a couple of weeks ago, that shut down New York for only a couple of days, but it shut down the subway system in in various forms for almost two weeks, which really took a hit on locals getting to the theater and tourists and people flying into New York. And so shows that have just opened had trouble getting a foothold. I mean, it's tough for a show that opens no matter what to go up against all the long-running hits and shows that might have bigger budgets or bigger word of mouth. Then it's quite another when you've got, you know, the whole weather working against you. And the sub- subway system working against you. And so it was kind of a Broadway bloodbath this week. And last, first of all, that show I was telling you about the performers featuring Alicia Silverstone and Henry Winkler. And then it was this, this naughty, raunchy comedy about of this up-and-coming, no pun intended, Porn star being coached by an older porn star and their relationships, and apparently very funny, very enjoyable, not the next long day's journey in tonight, just a really crazy, funny, raunchy show. Well, critics were up and down on it, again, no pun intended, and the show ran only a week after opening and closed back on November 18th. Also, um, we lost the musical Chaplin, or will be losing, I should say. It's going to close on January 6th. So it's going to eke its way through the holidays. Hopefully to get some of those tourist dollars. But was not the hit that people were hoping for. It will close after 24 previews and 136 regular performances at the Barrymore Theatre on Broadway. The, the lead actor, Rob McClure, got great reviews. He'll so probably get a Tony nomination. The, the design of the show is supposedly extraordinary, where they go literally from black and white like the old silent movies, for for a whole tone of the show. And the good news for Chaplin is that they are planning a national tour to start in the fall of 2014. But as far as its Broadway chances, alas and alack for them, uh, the show is only going to have run, sorry about that, um, that verbal construction there, but about four months or so. It had opened on September, oh, not even, sorry. Uh, September, October, November, yeah, about four months. September 10th, and will be closing January 6th. So get your tickets now if you're interested. Another show that announced its closing is Scandalous, and that's not even lasting at all. That one is closing tomorrow after only 29 regular performances at Broadway's, pardon me, Neil Simon Theater. This is the one that is put together and written by the one and only Kathy Lee Gifford. Yes, one from Regis and Kathy Lee and whatever the thing is now with Kathy Lee, the, the football player she's on with. Anyway, she's she wrote a family off-Broadway show a couple of years ago, wanted to get back in the game, and she wrote a musical, or co-wrote, I should say, about Amy Semple McPherson, who was this very charismatic, religious Christian preacher, but in <laughs> with a very up-and-down sort of personal life to go with her charismatic preaching life. But she was one of the, the pioneers and the progenitors of the televangelists that we have today. And the fact that she was a woman and she had you know an interesting married life made it even more remarkable, in some ways, what she did. And so, Kathy Lee Gifford was just compelled. She spent years, apparently, she got the idea for this musical 15 years ago and worked on it, and worked on it, and and um, <clears throat> the book and lyrics are by her. The music is by David Pomeranz and David Friedman. Anyway, the critics were not remotely impressed. They just thought it was this really by-the-numbers show, and the, the music wasn't all that interesting, and the story was really plodding. And as much as I like Carolee Carmelo, who was the star of the show, playing Amy Semple McPherson, it just didn't take off with them, And audiences weren't all that particularly interested. I mean, I guess Kathleen Lee Gifford is no Rosie O'Donnell. (laughs) People just don't flock to a Broadway theater to see her. One uh, pundit that I was reading about the show and why it flopped was saying that the other thing that Gifford did was alienate the gays, which you cannot do on Broadway. You cannot have a Broadway musical and alienate the gay community. And it's not that that Kathleen Lee Gifford is... Racist or homophobic. I don't know what her views are on gay marriage and gay life in general. Problem is, the backing for scandalous a lot of it came from this big right wing religious, churchy kind of place, and that particular institution is very anti gay marriage. You know, homophobic. Gay's need to change. They're not normal. Blah blah blah. And so when all those people are putting money into what is kind of a, a musical that gay people would be into, because it's got, you know, lively gospel music and the story of a magic woman and a diva actress in a role. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's prime material for gays to run to a Broadway theater. But when you're talking about a right-wing Christian person, sort of, and then the money's coming from these right-wing Christians, th- it's, it's just not going to happen. And Scandalous is saying sayonara to Broadway's Neil Simon Theater, on December 9th tomorrow. So you just have, I guess, two matin two plays today and one matinee tomorrow to catch Kathy Lee Gifford's Broadway debut, short as it has been. And so, as I said, a lot of bad news <laughs> coming from Broadway, sort of the Broadway bloodbath. But there were some silver linings. First of all, uh, this week, Golden Boy opened at the Belasco Theater. That's a revival of a 1937 play by Clifford Odets. All about this—I mean, check the the story of this out. It's all about this guy who is torn. He can either be a concert violinist or a boxer. Now he can't do both because you know you need your fingers for one, and if you break them in one, you can't do the other. So it's all about—is he going to sell his soul? And what decision will he make? And it's kind of old-fashioned melodrama. But it's still... Melodrama can grip you. And apparently they do a really, really good job on it. And so it got great reviews. This Lincoln Center Theater production. With uh, Tony Shalhoub, actually, as the manager. We all know him as Monk. And Seth Numrich getting very good reviews as the boxer. With her debut by Ivan Strahovski as the mall or the girl. E- so... At least Broadway had a hit this week. That, that's kind of good news. Because also closing, well, I forgot to mention The Anarchist, the new David Mamet play. That got dumped. That got trashed by critics who said, you have this incredibly interesting premise. Okay, you, you, It's even a high concept premise. You have someone who was arrested years ago because she was part of a violent political organization. Uh, like the Weathermen and the Weather Underground and and the Panthers, that that sort of thing. And they ended up hurting people in their quest to change America and do that. And so you've got this woman who's been in prison for a long time because she was in that organization. And then she's going up up against the warden for parole. And the warden is also a woman and it also was the, uh, or is, the Broadway debut of, oh, oh, what's her name, from Terms of Endearment. I am forgetting her name, forgive me. But, um, anyway, the the, the incarcerated political rattle, radical was played by Patty LuPone, which, I mean, so there you, you know, two exciting reasons to go to this show, plus you've got this synopsis of, like, ooh, this great battle of wills, these two strong women, one in a position of power, one basically... You know, who is a radical and anti-government and probably almost anarchisty, having to modify her thing to get what she wants, which is out of prison, because she's, she's coming up for parole. Wow, put him in a room, let him go. And it's David Mamet, the guy who gave us American buffalo, right? And, and um, well, the cryptogram. And also, of course, Glengarry Glen Ross. So you figure it's going to be sparks all over the place. But apparently he forgot to write A real interesting play. He wrote intellectual arguments and some abstruse and abstract talk about life and politics and violence and all that without really making us care one bit about these two people or their situation or even having sort of a a through line to follow. So unfortunately the, the show just got trashed all over the place. And despite having Paggy Lupong and Deborah Winger, that's the, the actress I couldn't think of, squaring off against each other. The play didn't sell any tickets, the reviews were bad, and it is closing just days after its opening on Broadway. The good news for Mamet is that his other classic play, Glen Gary, Glen Ross, is having yet another revival, hasn't even opened yet, tickets are flying out the door because the lead actor is Al Pacino. And unlike in the movie... Where he played Ricky Roma and so brilliantly. Now he's playing Levine. He's playing the, the Jack Lemon role, the Nebushy role, the guy who sucked in to plotting against this real estate office because he has no choice. He needs to financially, and it's just this poor schnook roped, roped into all this. So Pacino's in there. Everybody wants to see Pacino, even though early word for the past few weeks is that he's had. Terrible trouble finding the character, even memorizing his lines. They had to delay the opening for almost a month. They blamed it on Hurricane Sandy. It's not Hurricane Sandy. He's just not remembering his damn lines. Still, tickets just... They're adding performances as best they can for the limited run because people want to see Pacino in Glengarry Glen Ross. I I can't say. I blame them. So good news on that. And also, um, the... The new Teresa Rebeck play, Dead Accounts, is struggling along. They're staying open. It's a little tough, but they've got a bit of star power there. Not the great reviews that Norbert Leo Butz got. He's a Broadway star, but nobody's heard of him beyond Broadway. But his co-star is Katie Holmes, late of Tom Cruise's marital bed. And so everybody wants to see Katie Holmes' second turn on Broadway. And apparently she's, she's quite good. And people are kind of enjoying the show. The reviews are mixed. So we'll see if Dead Accounts makes it through and past the holiday season. But at least they're not closing tomorrow. At least they're not putting up January 6th as a closing date. They're going to try and soldier along, and we'll see how they do. Another piece of good news inside Broadway is the revival coming up of The Trip to Bountiful, a lovely piece by Horton Foote, the late Horton Foote, to be directed by Michael Wilson, and it's the return to Broadway of Cicely Tyson. Of course, you remember her from Sounder and the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. Tyson, I think her her last Broadway gig was in 1983, in a revival of The Chord is Green. So now she gets to play truly her age, an older woman who is living with her son and her dreaded, sister, her dreaded daughter-in-law. And all she wants to do is go back to her hometown. It's many, many years later. And all she wants to see is the old house and the old folks in the neighborhood and the stores there. Just one more time before she dies. That's her big quest. And will she get there? And what will happen when she gets there? It's a lovely movie, if you've never seen it, with Geraldine Page and uh, Rebecca De Mornay is in there as well. Now they're going to do it on Broadway in the spring. And the director, Michael Wilson, is something of a Horton Foot expert. He was the guy who directed that big Orphan's Home Cycle off-Broadway a season or two ago. It was all these different Horton Foot plays. So he's kind of the go-to guy for, you know, he, I guess you could call him the foot doctor, the podiatrist bringing Trip to Bountiful to Broadway with Cicely Tyson. And one lovely piece of off-Broadway news that I literally smiled, I almost jumped out of my chair when I saw this, that um, returning to the theatrical stages together for the first time in many years, Bill Irwin and David Shiner, yes, Bill Irwin of Regard of Flight and also he did a very, very good Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf on Broadway a few years back. You've seen him on TV. He he's, was the second Mr. Noodle. I, I think he still is Mr. Noodle on Sesame Street. And he was in, not Picket Fences, but that other one. He had a role there in that strange Alaska show. Oh, that'll come to me in a few minutes anyway also. But Bill Irwin, okay. Brilliant, mime comedian, physical performer. One of those first people to win one of those genius grounds years ago. And then you got David Shiner, who started in Cirque du Soleil and did some of the funniest stuff that they ever did as part of Cirque. And then he and Irwin joined a, more than a decade ago to do Full Moon, which was one of those brilliant, magical, funniest things I have ever seen on a theatrical stage. It was just joy from beginning to end, watching these gifted physical and ver- mostly physical clowns, I will say. I, I don't remember if there was much talking in the show at all, but it was, it was hard to describe. I only wish you had been there. It was the epitome of clowning, not in the old scary clown circus Emmett Kelly thing, but really just modern hilarious audience interactive funny, little bit naughty, snarky clowning. Great stuff. Well, they're getting back together. Irwin and Shiner together again. They're calling the show Old Hats, and it's going to be at the Signature Theater off Broadway starting in February with Tina Landau directing. Not to be. I mean, I, I, maybe it'll be awful. Maybe they've lost their edge. Or maybe they'll, they'll just do cutesy stuff now, but I still think this is an opportunity not to be missed to see Irwin and Shiner once more. Wow. So we see we started with a Broadway bloodbath, and yet every time when it looks like Broadway's crunching down and dying and wilting, the great old lady picks herself up again, and there's new saplings and seedlings to enjoy. So as we take ourselves out of Inside Broadway on this episode of Dave's Gone By, let us bid farewell to one of the shows that, as I said, is closing in January. It's called Chaplin... It features music and lyrics by Christopher Curtis and a book by the three-time Tony Award winner Thomas Meehan and he's represented now by a revival of Annie on Broadway. He also wrote or co-wrote the books for The Producers and Hairspray, so some pretty, you know, heavy-duty people there. Anyway, well let's play a song that I like from the Chaplin soundtrack or ooh, excuse me. <laughs> theater people will, will, will stab me with knives for calling it a soundtrack. It's an original cast recording of Broadway musical Chaplin. This is a song where um, Max it. the great slapstick silent film director, is first getting Charlie Chaplin on his lot. You know He's hired him away from English theater and vaudeville and stuff, and he says, okay, go out there, be funny. And Chaplin's like, well, you know, what's my motivation? What do I do? What's and, and so it's explaining the way his crazy keystone cop factory worked to Charlie Chaplin. And this is the song in which he does so.
1: All right, let's get started. Well, started. Wait, where's the script? There is no script. Don't we rehearse first? No, we don't. Can I go back to London then? No, you can't. All you've got to do is follow my directions. That's Charlotte in wardrobe and Mary and makeup, the girls who will help you look pretty. That's Hank on the dolly and Pete on the props, and the man at the camera is Raleigh. Now makeup is waiting and daylight is fading, so why not begin with the fun? Come over here, chaplain, and hang on my words, and I'll show you how pictures are done. With a girl in a bench, two pies in a tree, three cops will have you laughing. Mabel will sit down, Fatty stand up, chaplain, get in there, it's happening. Trouble arrives, a villain appears, Patty catch her flirty gets in fatty's way, I promise, we'll be heard. A little to the left, though, no, a little to the right. Now stand up, Chaplin, find your light. Sit down, stand up, move left, move down. No, no, Chaplin, just look right. Come on, Chaplin, look at me and give me one reaction. You get what I said? Forget what I said. I really just want to see action. All right, Charlie, run for it. Fast, fast. No, no, Chaplin, you're slowing it down. you got to keep up with them. What are you doing? You're not in the theater anymore, Chaplin. No, 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 you're slowing it down. All right, stop, cut, 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 cut. Charlie. Yes, sir? They call them movies because they move faster than anything you've ever seen on the stage. That's the difference between them. Now, I like you, Charlie. Oh, I like you. Oh, that's, well, that's swell, that's swell. So uh, we'll try it again, all right? Yeah. Rolling, action! Oh, a little to the left, a little to the right, get in there, Chaplin. Start a fight. Show me just a little of the magic that I saw that night. Cue the cops, cue the pies, ambulance hidden in disguise. Chaplin, help me, time is money. Won't you show me something funny? Mabel's sweating, Maddie's spinning, give me just a gag that's winning. Bobby's rolling, Peter's is waiting Moving kids stop, has a Chaplin, stand, Mabel, strut, touch him in the nut.
2: Chaplin, up, mouth is shut, be funny, Chaplin, down. It's that difference again, isn't it? It is, it is. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to figure out my character's
1: motivation. What? In London, I always knew why my character was doing something. Character? This is Hollywood. We don't have character here, and we don't have motivations. Let me try one more time. All right. Rolling! Action! This pass, so move your ass and give me one good shot. You think you have it in you just to give me all you got. The camera's almost empty, so the pressure is on you. The dusk is here, the day has almost slipped without a trace. So grab a pie, run on by him, fatty in the face. I know it's shit, I know it's crude, but who can really blame us? So come on, kid, and show me now, the gang for which I'm famous!
0: Oh! Cut! Senate song from the original 2012 cast recording of Broadway's Chaplin. Just a couple more weeks to see that show on Broadway in New York. That was Inside Broadway on Dave's Gone By. I am Dave Lefkowitz. It is 11.03 in the morning, mountain time, here at the University of Northern Colorado, where you listen to Dave's Gone By every week On uncradio.com or on channel 3 on your dorm room television sets. And happy to have you here on this Saturday for our 403rd episode of the program. It's called A Good Man is Easy to Find. I know it's kind of, I'm stretching the pun there a little bit, but it's all about our upcoming guest who'll be here in just a couple of minutes. I still have to tell you though that this radio program is brought to you by. Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of Broadway. Since the mid-1970s, the Torong family has owned and operated Hewlett Minuteman Press, offering the best quality at reasonable prices on printing, binding. Let's say your company wants its logo on a mug or a golf ball or a calendar, or you need to send out wedding invitations or still holiday cards, or you just need... Copies of your dissertation, <laughs> since, since that time of year, or copies of a, an office presentation. Color, black and white, Hewlett Minuteman Press can do it all. And if you mention Dave's gone by, or you tell him Dave sent you, you get 10% off any copy job, big or small. Dave's gone by. Just tell him that. Walk right in. Tell the Torongs that you listened to this show. And Even if you're getting one piece of paper copied or if you're getting thousands of pages or some other kind of job, they're 10% off. If you mention Dave's Gone By at Hewlett Minuteman Press, they're right in the heart of Hewlett, Long Island, about two blocks from the train station just across the street from the old Lomans that's there. And so let me give you their number, 516-569-5577, area code 516 569-5577. Hewlett Minute Man Press. They are the copy kings. Also, want to let you know a couple of uh, sponsors for this radio station, UNC Radio. Tenth Avenue Swing Club. Letting you know that the Snowball Swing Fest registration is uh, is on at sixty dollars. A fantastic deal. For a swinging good time with a live band, late night dance, professional teachers for every skill level, and contests for the weekend of January 18th through the 20th. So for more information, check out snowballworkshop.weebly.com. You can register right online for the Snowball Swing Fest. And remember, that has nothing to do with the X-rated kind of swinging, which I admit would be a lot more fun, but not so very wintry couple of bands that are coming to our area, or at least the Denver area, in the days and weeks ahead. Tonight at the Fillmore... Oh, whoops. Nope, that was yesterday. Bye. Tonight at the Fillmore Auditorium, AOTO at 7 o'clock. An electronic uh, band with also live rock, jazz, and jam elements of it. AOTO... I'm just reading this. Criss-crosses the country, blowing out basement dives, packed theaters, and stages under the stars. It's all at the Fillmore Auditorium tonight. To buy tickets, go to livenation.com. Coming up a bit later on the 10th of December at the Fillmore Auditorium, you've got the heavy metal band Lamb of God. Tickets are available at livenation.com. You've got the Hip Hop for the Holidays benefit concert, For Toys for Tots, as well as the Weld Food Bank, among the performers are Huff and Keen, Mike Star Productions, and many, many more. Um, It's all at AF Rays here in Greeley, Colorado, 2700 8th Avenue. So that's 27th Street and 8th Avenue. On Saturday, December 15th. So that's next Saturday night, doors open at 9. So if you're looking for uh, a way to blow off steam after the finals... And you're still in town, you're not packing off to Fort Collins or parts unknown after you're, uh, you're clearing out the dorms next Saturday. Stick around and uh, also pay your, pay your money for Toys for Tots and the World Food Bank at the Hip Hop for the Holidays concert. And moving into January on the 25th at Summit Music Hall, our radio station, UNC Radio, is presenting Anchorage, a band that formed in 2008 that pushes musical limits and combines different styles of music. You can buy tickets at com, and also be sure to listen to these shows on UNC radio during the week, usually between like 2 in the afternoon and 10 or midnight, because we give away tickets to a lot of these kinds of concerts, be it in Denver or locally in Fort Collins or or, or even the really close-to-home shows in Greeley. So... You know, it's another reason to keep it tuned to uncradio.com. But now I want you to keep it tuned to this program, Dave's Gone By, because we'll be talking to the son of a a minor figure in music history, but he's certainly a rather important footnote. His name was Dickie Goodman. And without him, it's, it's hard to tell whether we would have quite the level of mashups and sampling that we do in our music today. We'll let John Goodman, the son of Dickie Goodman, explain all that. But first, let's hear a bit of what Dickie Goodman did 50, oh my God, it was 1956. It's almost 60 years ago when he did this hit record called The Flying Saucer, all about, well, you'll hear it for yourself. Here's Dickie Goodman.
2: This is Walter Funkheit on the campus of Fun City College where a slight difference of opinion seems to be taking place between the students and the local authorities who say, <coughs> With me is Mr. Happiness, Mayor Daly of Chicago. Mr. Mayor, what do you see here today? Hair, long, beautiful hair. The student leader is replying to Mayor Daly. Thank you, for- we switch you now to the White House in Washington. The president has a statement to make to the students. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. This is Walter Funkite back on campus. <laughs> One of the students has an important question. Where's the playground, Susie? Governor Wallace has come up from Alabama for a few laps. Governor, what do you see taking place here? I see you. Has something to say to Governor Wallace. To
3: know, know, know you is to love, love, love
2: you. We switch you again to Washington where we hear Vice President Agnew finishing his speech. And someone is someone is this is Walter Funkheit back on campus again. Uh, 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 the tension is mounting. Here is Adam Clayton Powell. Yeah! Mr. Powell, what is it you really want? I don't want nobody to There's UB Humphrey. What seems to be the trouble? i mean, hurt, 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 hurt. Mayor Lindsay and the City Council have come to fund City College at their own expense to say something of momentous importance. This
3: is the dawning of the age of
2: Together in the throng are Governor Regan and Rap Brown. Governor, where did you two first meet? The Mr. Brown, how does a controversy like this usually end? This is Walter Funkite, signing off with the playing of my theme song. Hi, this
4: is John Goodman, and you're listening... To Dickie Goodman with Dave, host of Dave's Gone By on UNC Radio.
0: Welcome back to Dave's Gone By on this Saturday morning. You know, nowadays artists, musical artists, think nothing of mashups or of taking snippets or even one beat or a, a drum track or any little piece of a song, and then layering that into another song, then layering 12 other things from other sources into that song, and it creates a new entity. Well, that wasn't quite so common five or six decades back when Dickie Goodman, a young Brooklyn-born boy, thought, hmm, what might be funny is if we create this comedy record, this novelty idea, of having an interviewer talk about something, or interview people, but instead of the answers that people would give, we're going to lay in little snippets of the hit-pop songs of the day. Not only was it a clever idea, it became this huge hit, it basically made his career, and something that he would keep doing for years and years after that, and eventually on some level did lead to the mashing up and the breaking in and the sampling that we have today. Well, it's a little more complicated than that, and then to share the process of that with us, as well as the life of the late... Dickie Goodman is Dickie Goodman's son, who is going strong, who has put together not only a biography of his dad, which is also kind of an autobiography of himself and his relationship with Dickie Goodman, but he's also got a new CD of his dad's work, basically a best-of collection, 27 tracks on Dickie Goodman, Long Live the King, that's from Rock Beat Records, and Long Live um, John Goodman, who's on the telephone with us right now. Hello, John. Hi, Dave. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, anytime. I should mention that the 27th track on um, your CD is actually composed or created by you with you know, a bit of your, your father in there, too, so it's really 26 tracks plus one, to be fair,
4: yeah, well, I, I had to throw in that little duet at the end, you know, uh, if, if Natalie Cole can have a duet with her, her dad, Nat King Cole, you could, you could certainly do it with uh, Dickie Goodman.
5: Absolutely. Now, now,
0: I, I don't even know where to start with you, but I guess we kind of do have to start from the beginning. This this idea of um, your dad was just a young New Yorkie guy, and how did he go from that to creating the the world's most famous, not really the first, but the, the most famous break-in sampling record?
4: He was trying to uh, break in to the music business as a songwriter. And he had a little a little bit of, of success with that, writing, writing uh, songs that, that got picked up. I mean, he, he did some stuff, uh, and he actually continued throughout his career. So whether it was... Uh, the Del Vikings, the, the Sonnets, uh, the Nutmegs, and stuff like that, and the 50s, and then even in later years with uh, Del Shannon and, and uh, other famous artists.
0: Oh. Um, wait, 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 what you, I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to to break in here. Sorry, I'll, I'll be doing that a lot during this interview. But what song do you do for, uh, did he write for Del Shannon? I, I have to look it up. <laughs> oh, okay. <Cool. laughs> It also struck me sort of weird because I think both of them came to sort of the same bad end, which we'll get to later. So, so it's just a little strange that to hear that name come out of there.
4: Oh, he was, he was connected with... Uh...
0: didn't
5: go down in the plane.
4: Buddy Holly and Big Richie Bob Ballins,
0: and, and
5: Richie Ballins. yeah. Okay,
4: thank you. Sure. Um, he was involved with, with a lot of people in the music industry
0: like that. Well, okay, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt and, and kind of get you off track there. Your father, Dickie Goodman, is writing songs for other artists for these bands. Was your dad in the Brill
5: Building? Was he one of those people?
4: He would hang out at a...
0: until starting to research uh, Dickie Goodman and and your stuff was that, Er what was it, Billy Jones and Ernest Hare, the the so-called Happiness Boys, did have a novelty record. They were comedian people back, I guess, in the 20s where it was kind of making fun of spinning the radio dial. And so they'd be talking and then you'd hear radio noise and then a snippet of a a radio thing. So it had been kind of done before in a different way, this kind of... uh, Break in mashup sort of record, but again, you're, was it just did your dad ever tell you that there was this moment of inspiration of like, if I take my question and cut a song lyric in there, wow, I mean, did, did he ever tell you of that moment? sounds like the, the, um, the impetus and the inspiration for a comedy sketch I'm just trying to get that moment when it turned into something else into wow just,
4: I mean these days you've, you've got the comedy sketch
0: record himself on his own dime and then, with Buchanan I guess, and then bring it to various radio stations, to INS or, or wherever, or how did that how did it go from being some really cool thing that he wanted to play for somebody to getting on the radio, getting Alan Freed and all that that picked it up, or or how did it again go yeah, to a, the, you get know?
4: after that uh, w- went after you know it's playing on the air, he continued shopping it, and he was sitting in uh, George Goldner, the producer at of roulette's uh, office, and then one of the salesmen came bursting in asking if anybody have heard, had heard about this this flying saucer thing that's on the radio, so they went ahead and gave him the deal the roulette oh,
5: Records. there you
0: go now it became obviously huge hit this phenomenon. It it was one of those cultural touchstones of 1956. But it also caused a bit of trouble because, well, artists, I guess, started hearing three seconds of their song on the radio in this tune. They weren't getting paid for it. And so somebody started suing somebody and that snowballed. What were the legal ramifications of The Flying Saucer, Part 1 and 2?
4: Yeah, well, he was basically sued by 17 labels Uh He was also sued by labels who were angry that they weren't included on the record. Uh, He was also sued by a label that was for their expenses to be due to the record, a record they were no longer selling and people hearing the sample and requesting it on radio stations and so on. They were forced to re-release their record. Uh, He was also sued by Whitman's Chocolates for using their trademark term sampler. So, oh, was, man. you know, but there was an article in Time Magazine that said if you're not on saucer, you're nowhere. So, uh, it, yeah, that that all just sort of worked itself out, really, and he was free to
0: continue. There was a deal. Made, so did he end up having to pay anybody?
4: There's already uh, systems in place. Let's just say to, to, to pay for using. It's just like if, if uh, Pat Boone things, Little Richard's Tutti Frutti, uh, that's a cover version, and there's already
0: a system in place to, to be able to use, pay for the use of other people's music. Right, well, that's the copyright Nascap ASCAP and BMI and things like that, but wasn't, I thought, for parody, um, wouldn't it be fair game if it was less than 30 seconds, or is that a much, much later rule?
4: They paid for what's called mechanical. was there, what, what, what caused the hoopla mostly was that he, he just did it. He didn't know all of that, have the wherewithal for all of that. He just made this record that all of a sudden was a hit. And so that all had to be uh, done after the fact.
0: But when it was all said and done, he came out very, very well ahead. Well, yeah. the thing is, they were suing him for copyright
4: infringement, and, and the judge said it's not, because
0: he did the
4: right. new work. That his record, if you listen to it, it's obviously not just a compilation of other people's songs. It's, it's a whole new... Right, I mean, there, there's no
0: segment of a song that's longer than like three or four seconds in that.
6: <clears throat> we interrupt this record to bring you a special bulletin. The reports of a flying saucer hovering over the city have been confirmed. The flying saucers are real. Real. That was the Clatter's recording. Too real. We switch you now to our on-the-spot reporter downtown.
7: Come on, baby, let's go downtown. Take it
6: away, John Cameron Cameron.
2: Uh, this is John Cameron Cameron downtown.
7: Uh, pardon me, madam, would you tell
2: our audience what would you do if the saucer were to land? The hell. Thank you. And now the thin gentleman there. What I'm gonna do <laughs> is hard to tell. Uh, the gentleman with the guitar. What would you do, sir? Take a say- Street. Well, thank you. I return you
7: now. This is Brad, your outer space disc jockey, with a
6: request for Earth. Earth Angel. Earth Angel. That was the Pelican's Outer Space recording. Earth. I've just been handed a bulletin. The flying saucer has just landed. We switch you again downtown. Uh, here we are again. We have with us Professor Sucidic Finting mold of the British Institute. and The professor is
2: approaching a saucer to see if there's possibly any sign of life aboard.
6: But well, I'm sure something. Are you there? I hear you knocking. But you can't come in. That was Lapping Lewis's record. Knocking. This he's done Cameron Cameron on the spot.
2: And now I believe we're about to hear the words of the first spaceman ever to land on Earth. And now here are the ball scores. Four to three, six to two, and eight to one. The impact of seeing the first spaceman has this reporter
6: reeling. Here I go reeling. Really. That was the Clatters again with their big one, Oh, this is John Cameron Cameron again
2: downtown. The spaceman has returned to his ship and is taking off. We return you now to our studios.
6: The flying saucer has gone. There is no threat of an invasion. However, the flying saucers are still around. Hi,
4: this is John Goodman, and you're listening
0: So, by 19... That was all in 1956, and then he even did the, the whole legal thing in Buchanan and Goodman on trial. By 57, I guess he knew, at that point, a couple of things. He knew, okay, if I go and make one of these, I'll have to pay for the royalties beforehand, fine. And he keeps making these kinds of records for, for years to come, right? He just made them. Even in the, in the rare instance where you had the luxury of, of a big record, company
4: being behind it that would uh, do all the clearance and that sort of thing, he'd make it anyway. Years later, uh, uh, I was uh, talking to uh, Irv Lickman, the editor of Billboard magazine, when I was trying to get my father's records out on CD and and get the word out, and uh, Irv told me that he was the one who actually did the clearance for Mr. Jaws in 1975, and so uh, even in that case, Irv was saying that, you know, there were two artists that didn't want to be on there at all uh... glenn campbell and olivia newton john and my father said that's okay just do it anyway we could take them off later
5: <laughs> and did they stay i, I, <laughs> I
4: died they're not on the album version let's put it <laughs> oh,
0: well, oh well okay What? why would glenn campbell and olivia newton john not want to be a Ah, uh, who knows the vast majority of of your artists and even
4: companies would, would see the value of it because it, oh it didn't hurt him there were many many documented instances where his records literally spurred on uh, the the other records there were stations in the 50s that wouldn't play Elvis because it was race music but because they were playing the flying saucer and it was a hit and their station was being besieged by requests not just to play the flying saucer again but hey I want to hear that Elvis guy if you tell people that story yeah come on give me a break but that, that's the reality of it. I mean, the stations were playing Pat Boone's version of Tutti Frutti instead of Little Richard, and once again, they'd get siege by request to hear the, the version that Dickie Goodman had on The Flying Saucer.
0: So almost as an unintentional side note, he ended up breaking some barriers in radio for um, for artists of color.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, just the whole freedom of speech kind of thing was generated by, by his records that uh, Otherwise, you would just pass it off as, uh, as
0: something trivial. I remember reading or hearing a Weird Al Yankovic interview. And Weird Al is very careful. You know, he'll do a parody. I'm sure it comes to him. He thinks somebody writes it. And then he always clears it. He goes and approaches the artist and says, OK, is it all right if I do this? And there was only one time, I forget who it was. It's probably pretty easy to look up. Where an artist has said, nope, nope, don't want, don't want you making fun of my stuff. Everybody else is honored because parody is the sincerest form of flattery or something like that. But we're talking with John Goodman, the son of the late Dickie Goodman. I'm I'm a little... I also want to talk a little bit about the mechanics of what your dad did for these records. How long, as you said, since he was dealing with reel-to-reel tape, a razor blade, and probably some sticky cement stuff like I used to do when I was in NYU film school a hundred years ago, how long would it take him to put together a two-and-a-half-minute mash-up record.
4: I was at least there for, for records he did in later years where, oddly enough, they're still working w- with tape. I mean, even at the point in 75 where they had a mixing board in, in the studio, they were still working with reel-to-reel tape. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. So, so he, he'd go into the studio and just stay there till it was done, you know, so whether it was 24 hours straight or, or whatever it was. And he was an absolute perfectionist with his stuff back then, which is important because these days we've come to expect perfection. You know, just 20 years ago, there were lots of B-movies. Now there's no B-movies because all movies are perfect because of CGI. Um, So this perfection that we've come to expect, he was doing that, you know, handmade with tape.
0: Wow. Yes. Would you say that he was had had a manic Personality, then, if you're saying that he would just work like for 24 hours instead of parceling out over the course of three or four days, going to the studio, working a bit, then not, did he have huge highs and then crash? Was that the sort of person he was?
4: He was definitely manic, compulsive, Uh, take all those adjectives and put them together.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you just did manic, compulsive, and then that spurred on his creativity. While he was still doing, I mean, year after year, all the cut-up songs and the break-in songs, after sort of the Brill Building era, what was he doing when he wasn't doing those? Was he still writing? Was he producing other people?
4: Yeah, he he produced uh, other acts. He was always doing something that was odd or unique i mean when when he went he went to work at the 20th century fox record company and and uh, he was there while uh, w- when kennedy was assassinated so the very day that kennedy was assassinated he put together an, a, an album of kennedy's speeches and it was a hit whatever it was at the time uh, he, he he had a deal with a major uh, marketing company in New York where they were going to change from glass bottles to uh, tin cans for soda. Yeah. So he got a group that called them the glass bottle and uh, wrote songs for them, and, and they had hits.
0: <laughs> <laughs> See, what I'm also trying to get at is he had this career that wasn't... Not that there's anything wrong. I mean, his legacy will be that he was this break in Novelty Record King, but that he had a career in different facets going for a couple of decades, and even had, as you said, in 1975, Mr. Jaws was his second biggest hit, I and mean, that was already, like, 14, 15 years after Flying Saucer.
4: Yeah, nearly, nearly 20 years later, um, yeah, ni- yeah, 19
0: years later. It was almost 20 years later, exactly. Have, uh, you know,
4: another... That was his thing, too. You had the different charts to go by in those days. And he would uh, always, he would just ignore Billboard because Billboard would have him at three or four or five or whatever. And But he'd, in Cashbox, he'd be number one. In Record World, he'd be number one. And they had your hit parade and Variety nice. and, and just all of these uh, other music charts. I mean, in his day, they would call diners, and ask them what's getting played on your jukebox. You know, that's how they got the statistics, where these days the song's embedded with a microchip so they could track you at home, you know, where you're playing the record and how many times you play it. That
2: we are here on the beach where a giant shark has just eaten a girl swimmer. Well, Mr. Jaws, how was it? Ah, no and what did she say when you grabbed her? Please, Mr. Please. I know sharks are stupid, but what did you think when you took that first bite? How sweet it is. Mr. Jaws, before you swim out to sea, have you anything else to say? I can't, be I can't be With me now is the local sheriff. Sheriff Brody, the shark will be back for lunch. What do you intend to do?
3: do
2: just arriving is oceanographer Matt Hooper. Sir, if someone is attacked by a shark, what should they do? Do We are going aboard the fishing boat of Captain Quint. Captain, will you be able to catch this giant shark? I will! I will! I will! Uh, thank I you, Captain. Win. Captain? Captain? Captain, when you catch one of these sharks, what do you feel like? Like a rhinestone cow. We've just sighted the shark again. He's coming straight for us. Captain Quint is shouting something at him. Get
3: your baby one of these
2: hey, Jaws, the captain says he's going to catch you. What do you think of that? <laughs> uh oh, here he comes again. <laughs> They've hit him. Mr. Jaws, why doesn't anything seem to hurt you? Big boy,
3: Big boys,
2: He's coming right onto the boat! Mr. Jaws, why are you grabbing my hand? Wouldn't you give your hand to a friend? No, wait! Mr. Jaws! That's not the way this record is supposed to end! Help! Help!
3: Hi, this
4: is John Goodman, and you're listening to Dickie Goodman with Dave, host of Dave's Gone By on UNC Radio.
5: I've heard you on other interviews
0: where you say that, whereas Mr. Jaws was almost like this renewal for his career, by the time he got to 1982 and he wanted to to go back to the same well with Hey E.T., it just didn't quite happen. I mean, I remember hearing that on Dr. Demento. That was, uh, he could have had the, that third uh, comeback,
4: if you want to call it that. Um, he, he just got a tough break because he was an in indie, you know, before the, they coined the term indie. He had the AET out there, it, it bubbled under on Billboard because it, it was getting the airplay, but he ran out of money to make the, the
0: records to, to, to refill the record stores. Oh. Like, yeah. So at that point, he wasn't doing, was he doing other work? Was he still with. Right, I mean, with, right
4: at that moment, he was relying on that record uh, to, to give him his, his big comeback. He had a hit in the making, and uh, because he was in India, didn't have like a huge label behind him to right. pump money into it. it, it bubbled under.
0: What kind of uh, father was Dickie Goodman?
4: Well, other kids would, uh, you know, their dad would take them to baseball games, and my dad took me to, uh, the racetrack. Okay. <laughs> and so, other you know, kids would get a baseball autographed and I'd get the racing forum autographed by a top jockey. Or other kids were being tucked into bed at bedtime. and I was in the studio with my father in San Diego after driving for hours in the fog, uh, up all night re- recording a new record. Oh. I was like a little sidekick because I was, uh, a good little tag-along. I'd have a little radio, uh, a tape player radio to, to record little songs he heard on the radio for him. to come up with one-liners and just
0: uh, was there. Well, that sounds like a fun part of... of uh, actually, it doesn't sound bad at all. Was, was your dad a heavy gambler or did he just like to spend the day at the track?
4: Oh, yeah. He, um, he was definitely a heavy gambler oh. as with, with the horse races, no
0: doubt. Uh-huh, okay, and so that also left him in kind of a bad way towards those middle 1980s. I mean, and also, I guess there was a divorce in there? What What was it like growing up? There,
4: there are several divorces in there. And, and oh, oh.
0: Several,
4: oh. Uh, several divorces and several uh, girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, to this day, I've got uh, ex-girlfriends of his uh, telling me that they own his, his entire music catalog because he, he signed it over to them for a one-night stand, you know, or...
0: <laughs> um, no, greater men have done the same, I'm telling you. But uh, how long was your dad married to your mom? Um, As, as long as it lasted.
4: Yeah. <laughs> until yeah. he, until he, I, What I used to say was he, he'd have a hit record. He'd get a new wife, buy a new Cadillac, and move to a new place. And, and so that's pretty much how that one went. You know, he got Mr. Jaws, so... He got a, a white Cadillac with a, a chrome silver ladyhood ornament and oh. an orange leather roof and a 50-foot cable antenna, and we drove from New York to L.A.
5: <laughs> so did he always
0: have custody of you, or did you wind up elsewhere? It
4: was up to me. Oh. Whoever I could, uh, I, I had the most patience for at the time. That's who I would stay with.
0: <laughs> and the judges
4: were over My, my, my mom was in yeah. the music business, too, a singer, oh. and... Uh, and so uh, I went back and forth.
5: Who was, I'm sorry, who was your mom? Well, her stage name
4: was Susan Smith. So she, she was one of those almost famous She, did, she didn't uh, quite achieve his success.
5: Is she still with us?
0: Did she? Yeah, yes, yeah, she's still around today. Oh, far out. Did you, and she doesn't still sing, I assume, but she's still, um... That's for me. Aw. <laughs> uh, do you still live in New York? Because your dad was a Brooklyn-born boy. Were you Brooklyn also?
4: I almost can't identify with any one place just because it's almost like being an army grad where I traveled the entire country with him wherever he went.
0: When you're not dealing with your dad's legacy with his recordings and, and writing the bio, or the biography of him, what do you do in your life?
4: Whatever job I could get that'll pay the bills, that'll, that'll support me, so that I could continue doing this on the side.
0: <laughs> well, okay. So, what kinds of jobs? What, what are your skills? What are you trained as?
4: Um, let's see. I've, I've been a, I've been a radio DJ. I've been a newspaper reporter. I've been a cop. I've been a private detective. You been a cop?
5: Okay. I've yeah.
4: just, uh, been a, you know, all kinds of different salesmen. <laughs>
0: I'm. I'm kind of curious. I mean, what was the the either the scariest or funniest or weirdest thing that ever happened to you when you were a policeman?
4: uh Oh, what? Which, which, yeah, which one? Oh, okay, which yeah. Which <laughs> there's so many. Uh, so so Pick many. Pick two. Pick two. <laughs> well, uh, uh, I wasn't ready for that. One.
5: Okay. Well, yeah, I like to throw a curveball now and then. So.
4: Yeah. Uh. Let's a, a funny, uh, cop story. Um, uh, what, what's a good one? Uh, my daughter, uh, often will ask me to tell her a cop story, and I have to rack of my brain to, to, to think of one that, that's, uh... Well,
0: was there, were you ever shot? Or shot at?
4: That's the most common question. Yeah, shot at many, many times.
0: Many, many times? Good lord.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's quite common uh, to get shot at, uh, yeah, get a, get a, yeah. I mean, the nightclubs would let out. People would take pot shots in the crowd, and, and then you'd see a car drive away. So that was the most obvious answer. You go after the car, and uh, and that's the guy with the gun. And and so um, after doing that a number of times, I was in a court case against one of those situations, and the defense attorney said, "How can he say that? It, you know, he heard the." The gunshot come from there, you know. And, and the judge said, "Look, uh, I've had uh, Officer Goodman testify in these cases so many times. I'll I'll accept his his mm. testimony as an expert witness for how to determine the you know the direction a <laughs> gun's gunshot came from just by sound alone."
0: Nice. because so. <laughs> that's a very difficult, you know, you, you with <laughs> echo effects and, and everything around, it, it's virtually <laughs> impossible unless you've been shot at many many times. Yeah, but you, you never got hurt not shot (laughs) oh wait well okay (laughs) did
4: you ever get stabbed um uh there there were plenty of times that I just took took weapons away from people whether they were knives or guns Uh, Hmm. just walk right up to them and take it away
0: so how long were you a policeman
4: five years
0: and you burned out or why did you stop
4: well, I burned out uh, kind of the way, what's his name, uh, the guy that they can't find, Jimmy Hoffa. I, I, I founded a local chapter of a police officer's union and uh, that uh, was good for all all the other officers other than me, basically.
0: Oh, <laughs> I, I gotcha. And then were you a private eye before or after?
4: Yeah, yeah <clears throat> sure. that's like the first thing that ex-cops do. They go, they go do that and then... Uh, and then get tired of chasing the cheaters who are cheating on cheaters. That's uh, mm-hmm. pretty much what it's, that that business seems to be limited to these
0: days. What are recent jobs that you've done? What What are current activities? Again, besides the creative work. Well, that, that's the whole thing. I've always got to find something so that,
4: that I can interject my Dickie Goodman style, if, you know. So, so I, uh, as a radio DJ, I play the Dickie Goodman.
0: Sure. Um and um Well are you on the radio now? I mean I don't mean on my show, I mean are you on a on a station now? Yeah. Oh, okay, just just, just wondering. Well, anyway <laughs> We're talking with John Goodman, the son of Dickie Goodman. John Goodman has put together the compilation disc Long Live the King, featuring more than two dozen cuts of the famous break in and, and mashup songs that his dad Really helped pioneer. I'm kind of wondering then, though, when things really, really went downhill for your dad. Did you have an inclination that he would do what he did?
4: Well, at the time I did, yeah. Um, but really, after Hey he really only had like one other record in the 80s. It, um, that sort of, uh, that was a, a tough break. And, and then, It got to the point where then the industry was changing from vinyl to CD. You also had uh, the beginning of this conglomeration effect uh, of uh, labels being gobbled up by major companies and radio stations being gobbled up by conglomerates and and so he was losing this uh, ability to draw on smaller labels that he knew. And and the DJs that, that normally he would turn to, to to play his records were no longer in charge. Now there were program directors who had to get permission from executives higher up and there was a major change in, in radio where the stations became specialized instead of having so many stations that would play the hits uh-huh. of a station that would only play adult contemporary or would only play this or only play that and, and that was their format so there were less places to be heard. So he was going through a tough time that, that he didn't know if he could have hung in there that things would have gotten a lot easier eventually for
5: him. I mean, he he may not have
0: made a whole hell of a lot more money, but he would have had creative outlets that would have been really cheap for him.
4: Everybody's on iTunes.
0: Right. um, And YouTube and and places like that. Exactly, and that that is a good thing. It it helps
4: perpetuate um, his legacy even, because I always find it very refreshing to come across something on YouTube where kids have made a Dickie Goodman-style video and and say it, acknowledge it, say this, you know, and how do they even know? Dickie Goodman-style record. And, and then that's the other catch, too. Uh, a music video would have been nearly impossible for him in his era, and now people can, can take his records and,
0: and edit on their own home computers and set it perfectly to whatever movie it was based on or, or anything like that. Yeah, no, absolutely true. I mean, and, you know, it hadn't even occurred to me until I heard you in another interview say, oh, yeah, he could have done mashup break-in videos, sample videos. And I was like, oh, God, of course he could have and would have. It's funny, I, I took you saying it for me to even think of that. But, and, and not to dwell on the bad stuff, because we're going to leave that really quickly, but how long did it take? I mean, it will take you forever to fully get over it, but how long did it take you to get through? Your
5: father's suicide
4: um, it, yeah it was I was young so I didn't know um, what to do about his music business at, at that point and it took me a few years to uh, to sort of um, figure out or have the, the ideas come to me uh, and what I should be doing to, to perpetuate his legacy really and that was probably um, a great bit of healing, if you will, uh, for his loss, because I was able to uh, get his stuff out there and share it with the world on the, the latest forms of of media,
5: whether it was CD and then later with uh, the digital downloads and so on. Was it
0: healing to write the biography book that you wrote about him? Yeah, I, I
4: wrote the book that book almost with a vengeance, because... Part of that was I was coming across at the time so many things that he did that were just astounding um, and not really getting any sort of official recognition for it. And and so as I was writing the book, you know, it, that's when it was during the writing the book and so on where to get him a, a, a Grammy for, for one of his records. It was during the writing the book that uh, to get billboards to go back and count the records again because they had named Ray Stevens number one for the genre and he had 14 hits and by my count there were 17 and and all it took really was a phone call and uh, and Billboard said oh oh, okay yeah he is number one and uh, then once Billboard made him number one, then I submitted that to uh, the Guinness Book of World Records. So now he's up there with, with Elvis and the Beatles and, and other greats for what he did in his own category of comedy.
0: I did want to ask one question about the book. If you go on Amazon and, and you go to order it and you look at the reviews, there was this spate of really vicious negative reviews. And I'm wondering if there's something behind that, because it was just too... You know, the book sounds too good. You sound too intelligent for for those reviews to be quite um, kosher, in a way. I mean, it almost sounds like somebody was after you back, you know, when the book came out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... I um,
4: the, the the real fans or the public are always very, very nice with this stuff. Uh, in the case of, of the book, you know, it's a self-published book by a guy who wrote a book about his dad, basically. So it first of all, wouldn't really deserve any kind of seriously negative review. It's not like um, a major publisher, a major author with unlimited resources, you know. But uh, at the time I was a newspaper reporter and the other reporters were familiar with that I had written a book because that's like every writer's dream. Anyone who does writing for a living also dreams of writing the great novel. So, they knew about that, and I came across a big local news story, and I was the one who got it and, you know, went on the Associated Press. And So they're taking heat from the uh, managers. Well, what are you guys doing? And um, just when, when I left the paper, they had the opportunity to um, go on there and, and just say some mean things, you know, this little grouping of phony
0: negative reviews that, you can't do anything about because it's all automated. Right, you can't delete Amazon. You can, you can have a YouTube channel and delete comments there that you don't like, <clears throat> but Amazon is its, own, is its own thing.
4: Yeah, so un- unfortunately you, you've got uh, that, that there, and the one thing that, that's really uh, made me feel a lot better about it is the kind of reviews that the new C D is getting, you know, official reviews, and they're good. And, and they talk about how the significance of it, they're raising him from just being called something from the pop subculture to, you know, real historical pop culture time capsules, or what his records are all about, really. And all the book did was uh, put it all in chronological order, like almost like a book report. So if somebody says, well, yeah, you wrote too much about yourself in the book, My answer is, okay, which part about me should I have left out? Should I have left out the part about me where I was in the studio with Dickie Goodman as he was recording Mr. Jaws, his biggest hit ever, perhaps, and in order to make the sound of of drowning by the shark, he dunked his head in a janitor's mop bucket. (laughs) You know, how could you get that story from anyone other than the guy
0: who is there seeing it happen, you know? So, so no, absolutely right. And, and it's almost like saying, uh, I mean, I have not had the chance to read your book, but, like, if you read the, the Patti Smith book about Robert Mapplethorpe, well, it's, you leave Patti Smith out of the book, <laughs> and it becomes a very short and, and strange book. You know, she was there, she was part of it. And if it's filtered through her perspective, well, that's kind of the point. We have really one last question for John Goodman, and it is a perspective question. Do you have a favorite song? I, I'll, I'll call them songs, a favorite uh, record that your dad did over all these. I mean, maybe it's Flying Saucer, maybe not. What would yours be?
4: I tend to change my mind here and there because I do have uh, a favorites uh, of his from time to time. Like, I like what he did with Star Wars, where he, even though it, it wasn't really a hit, his Star Wars record, where he made fun of the Force, you know, he'd say, well, but wait, it's the Force, and he play something, and I just, I just got a kick out of that, that, you know, that he keyed in on that, you know, that aspect that sort of zen aspect of, of Star Wars. Nobody was thinking about that, really, you know?
3: Okay.
4: <laughs> they were just thinking about this, like the first time anybody really paid attention to, to really great special effects in a, in a sci-fi movie. So that was that was the thing. And, and what he keyed in on was, was the Force. Wait, it's the Force.
2: <laughs> we are here on a spaceship where Darth Vader has just kidnapped Princess Leia. Hey Vader, what do you want to do with the princess? Just walk fool around. Here's C3PO! 3PO! Darth Vader is coming this way! What are you going to do? 3PO! R2, what have you got to say? We are here on the planet Tatooine, where the two robots have just landed. 3PO, how did you get here? I blew my flip flop. R2, what have you got to say? There's Luke and Ben Kenobi, and listen, the Force. We are taking off aboard the spaceship of Han Solo. Chewie, if you could talk. What would you say? You and me and movie star. We've landed on the Death Star. Luke has rescued the princess. He's whispering something in her ear. I'm your enemy man. R2, what have you got to say? <laughs> They're taking off for the Rebel base, which the evil Governor Tarkin is about to destroy. Governor Tarkin, why do you enjoy blowing up planets? Yeah! Come the rebel spaceships! Luke is shouting something! Looks like we made it! Hey R2, what have you got to say? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Darth Vader's spaceships are attacking the rebels! But listen, the Force! Luke has gotten through! He's going to bomb the Death Star! Wait, Luke, I'm still down here! Help!
0: Star Wars by Dickie Goodman. And we're also going to thank John Goodman for being in the neighborhood to talk about his dad and his dad's work. Remember, you can get Long Live the King from Rock Beat Records. They have a website called rockbeatrecords.com. Also, Dickie Goodman, King of Novelty, the book, you can get that at Amazon and other places. And although, um, John Goodman doesn't maintain, like, a website website. He's all over social media. So if you go looking for him and trying to find out what he's up to... Because you also put together another novelty record that wasn't just your dad's stuff a few years back. Was that for Rhino, or who was that for?
4: The beauty of of things like iTunes or Amazon and and all of these uh, music download sites now... Is for the first time ever, basically, I've got everything he's ever done uh, is available. You know, a person could go to any of their favorite download sites at any given moment. I, I, all his stuff is available at one time. This particular CD, Long Live the King Dickie Goodman, ha- has the luxury of the guys at Rhino uh, remastering his stuff for better sound quality for the first time ever. So it, so it's great. You can get the CD to hold in your hand
0: or the digital download, however we're very, very happy to have you with us digitally, John Goodman. And I want to thank you so much for sharing your life, your father's story, and your story here in the neighborhood. It's been great. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for having me.
6: We are not going to interrupt this record. Yes, we are. The flying saucer has landed again. Washington. The Secretary of Defense has just said Ain't that a shame That was Skinny Dynamo's record That's a shame
2: This is John Cameron, Cameron, part two Gathered around me are several of the spacemen Tell us, have you come to conquer the world? the And now would you repeat that in English? Don't want the world to have a home Hey, why don't you go back where you came from?
6: do to our studios. Here is a news item from Washington. The president has just issued a statement to the spacemen, and we quote, You can do anything for me all for my blue shoes. That was Pa Gherkin's record, Shoes. We switch you again downtown. This is John Cameron, Cameron downtown.
2: Professor Cedric of the British Institute, tell us, how were the saucers able to land?
6: Where do you see the motor cool down, the heat went down. That was Huckleberry's recording, the motor cooled down.
2: Oh, this is John Cameron Cameron again. I believe the spaceman has a final parting word. See you later, alligator. We return you now to our studios.
6: The spacemen have gone again. But look to the skies. The saucers will always be there. Always be there. Goodbye, Earth
0: people. I remember it well from my uh, parents' record collection, side one we heard earlier, and then side two, part two, I should say, of The Flying Saucer by Dickie Goodman from 1956. Hugely popular record, and in some ways quite influential, oddly enough, to the music we have today. So thank you so much to John Goodman, the son of Dickie Goodman, for being in the neighborhood, and do pick up a copy of King excuse me, of his book, King of Novelty, and also the compilation CD, Long Live the King, from Rock Beat Records. It really has pretty much every record that you need from Dickie Goodman, and let's just start going on iTunes and really going for uh, the very deep stuff. Anyway, we do deep stuff and light stuff here on Dave's Gone By. It is just a minute from noon, mountain time. You're listening to the show on UNC Radio, the radio station of the University of Northern Colorado. That would be uncradio.com on your internets and Channel 3 on your dorm room television sets for uh, the week or two that you're still here at UNC before heading off to the winter vacation time. We've got an hour left of this 403rd episode of the show. Still quite a lot of fun stuff to do. Rabbi Saul Solomon will be here giving his Hanukkah rabbinical reflection because the Jewish holiday starts this evening at sundown. We'll also play some uh, Hanukkah music if there's time. Not real heavy Jewish music, but popular music that I find is uh, Hanukkah-inspired in a way. You'll see. And also we'll have the news gone by. A look at news and world events from a very skewed perspective. It's a segment that we were doing 10 years ago when we first began this program. Gave it up for a couple of years and then started doing it again just around the time of our 10th anniversary. Just for fun. And I'm enjoying it and hope you will too. But before all that, it's time for our weekly segment, Bob Dylan, Sooner and Later. That's where we play songs from different times. Of Dylan's career because he is so prolific and important. And where our theme is going to be finals, because over the next few days, that's all anybody here at the university will be obsessed with. So these are songs by Bob Dylan that, in some way, have something to do with the word final, either in the title or elsewhere in the song. That's why you've got to listen closely. And then at the end of this segment, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what the songs I'll have to do with the theme. But first, let us begin with an early track that wasn't released until the Biograph Collection, that, that um, first bit of bootleg stuff after the basement tapes, that Columbia said, hey, you know, maybe we should release all this great stuff that Dylan never did officially. And so glad that they did. This is the very bright and spunky... And in some ways, final, baby, I'm in the mood for you. Sometimes I'm in the
8: mood I want to hear my milk low. Sometimes I'm in the mood I want to leave my lonesome home Yes, yeah, sometimes I'm in the mood I want to hit that highway road But then again, and then again I said, oh, whoa, whoa Oh, babe, I'm in the mood for you Sometimes I'm in the mood, I'm going to turn my back to the wall, and sometimes I'm in the mood, I'm going to live in my pony stall, and sometimes I'm in the mood, I ain't going to do nothing at all, but then again, I said oh, I said oh, I said oh, I said, oh, leave I'm in the mood. Sometimes I'm in the mood, I'm going to change my house around, and sometimes I'm in the mood, I'm going to change things in a town, and sometimes I'm in the mood, I'm going to change the whole world around, but then again, I think again, and in the whoa, I said whoa, I said be I'm in the mood for you. I'm in the mood. I'm gonna give away all my sins. And sometimes I'm in the mood. I'm gonna walk the road again. And sometimes I'm in the mood that I'm bound to lose again. But then again, I see it again. I say, whoa, whoa, babe. Sometimes I'm in the mood to you.
7: From uh, Bonnie Dobson's tune, Peter Amberley, I think the name of it is.
9: Christy is his, a feel stand is what you use Should you wonder if works with your fate Need your coconut bread spice buns in bed If you don't mind sleeping with your head face down in a plate to your door.
5: Final theme
0: from Bob Dylan's soundtrack album to Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, the Sam Peckinpah film with Jimmy Coburn and with – oh, I'm always forgetting this whole episode. I'm forgetting the second person when I'm talking about two people. I I, (laughs) – I did it before forgetting Deborah Winger's name, and now I'm doing Chris Christopherson. That's it. Jimmy Coburn and Chris Christopherson in the film. Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, which had a a small role, almost a cameo role, for Bob Dylan in it. But Dylan's greater contribution is some of the songs that went into the soundtrack for the film, including Billy and that theme that he reuses over and over in the album, and of course, Knocking on Heaven's Door which came out of that. And that, though, was final theme for the film and for that soundtrack album. Final being the apt term for our Bob Dylan Sooner and Later segment, because, of course, it is coming into finals week here at the University of Northern Colorado. So I thought I would do a Bob Dylan sooner and later segment dedicated to the word finals and its variations. And so we also heard in that set, starting up top with Baby, I'm in the mood for you, very lively, kicky little song there, which has the line, going to make out my final will. Also, we heard the ballad of Donald White, which to this day, I think, remains officially unreleased or unofficially released. You can get it on bootlegs. I had it on a a bootleg record album 30 years ago. Still, of all things, um, Columbia has not saw fit to release a version of that song, even though it's it's a really powerful, good song in his protest finger-pointing vein, however brief that was. But in the ballad of Donald White, he says the line, and these are my final words. He also has more words that he Bigging and screaming and yelling out in that major epic version of Idiot Wind, the live version from um, Hard Rain. In Idiot Wind he has the, the has three times that he uses variations of the word final. He says, In the final end he won the war. He also says, I so finally made you blind and says, I've been double crossed now for the very last time, and now I'm finally So we get three and one on that song, on the live version of Idiot Wind. And then we also heard in this Bob Dylan sooner and later set, Foot of Pride. Kind of a a not very well-known tune, even though uh, Lou Reed did sort of a stomping version of it for the Dylan 30th anniversary concert. But we heard the Dylan version from the Bootleg series, where he talks about the final nail. So yes, and the final song is final theme in our Bob Dylan Sooner and Later segment here on Dave's Gone By. It's 12.32 in the afternoon, Mountain Time, putting it at 2.32 Eastern Time for all my listeners on the East Coast. Time for the news gone by on this Saturday, December 8th, 2012. It's a look at news and events in our world from a festival of lightheartedness perspective Weird, sad news on the media front from London where two DJs called the hospital where Kate Middleton was staying because she was having serious morning sickness. The radio hosts convinced a nurse that they were Prince Charles and Queen Elizabeth calling to check on her granddaughter. The nurse gave them detailed information about Kate's condition in a phone call that the radio station promoted as the prank call the world is talking about. A few days later, however, the world is talking about that nurse. A married mother of two, she apparently killed herself rather than face the embarrassment caused by the prank. This has now led to outrage and a demand to monitor radio hosts and what they do. Sorry, I think that's jumping the gun. I. It was one thing for those two idiots in 2009 to challenge a woman to a water-drinking contest without realizing she could actually drown herself, they, they didn't mean it, but at the same time, they might have checked with a doctor. But a funny phone call? I, I admit, asking about a medical condition, however minor, is pushing the envelope. But hey, if Kate Middleton is puking her guts out, that just makes her more human like the rest of us. In fact, it's only fair. When English citizens got the tax bill for her wedding, they were all throwing up, too. On Friday, the United States Supreme Court announced that it would finally take up gay marriage. Whether they'll take it up the poop shoe is another thing, but at least our country has a real shot at equality. Not separate but equal, but equal. One of the laws they'll be reviewing currently requires the federal government to deny benefits to gays and lesbians even in states where they're legally married. That's like going to a McDonald's in Manhattan and not letting kids drink soda from a bucket. Oh, wait, Bloomberg actually did that. But seriously, liberals are a little worried that the Supreme Court still has too many conservatives to vote their way on such a left-wing issue. Sam Alito is still a young guy, but Scalia is getting up there, and Clarence Thomas is 64, which is ancient for a black male. Still, fingers are crossed that America will move forward for people who take it backward. And just a reminder, that heterosexual marriages aren't necessarily something gays should aspire to. 51-year-old Gerard Desidiero, excuse me, Gerald Desidiero of Elmont, Long Island, was arrested on Thursday and charged with interstate stalking, obstructing the mail, and sending hazardous materials through the postal service. What did he do? He sent his ex-wife her alimony check smeared with his own feces. Wouldn't have been so bad, but the letter came back postage due. Tragic news from the Bronx on Tuesday and a crane accident reported by the New York Post. A construction worker was crushed to death when a giant refrigeration unit fell on him. Not cool. Good news for sorry. I don't know why that makes me. Laugh. Good news for hungry New Yorkers. The California-based Fatburger chain is set to open ten restaurants in the New York area over the next couple of years. The move is likely to bring three hundred new jobs to the metro area. Unfortunately, those jobs are for heart surgeons, dieticians, and funeral directors. And local news: a worker. At an Albertson's grocery store in New Mexico found a loaded thirty eight pistol in a package of frozen meat. Dated june twenty eleven, the package was traced to the Swift meat packing plant right here in Greeley, Colorado. Law enforcement officials say that they're trying to trace the gun, which is tough, because the Swift employees wiped the gun down before turning it in, thus erasing all the fingerprints. Well, At least they're being sanitary, even if they are meatheads. But as I've said the last couple of weeks, one of the great things about doing the news gone by is that I can count on the Internet to give me the best one-liners. All I have to do is collect them. So these are some of the comments responding to the story about the loaded heat in the frozen meat. Great Geezer says, now everybody will want one. Fred called it a cold case. Elwood wrote, "Guns don't kill people; ground beef kills people." David, not me, another David. He wrote, "Crap! Somebody switched packages." As the as the I'll, I'm sorry, I'll read that again. Wrote, "Crap! Somebody switched packages." As the robber whips out a two-pound steak in a hold-up attempt. Gree commented, "If the packaged meat was dated June eighth, 2011, wouldn't the gun have expired by now? Special Ed says, you've been warned, eat more chicken. Pretty Smart noted that if the meat was venison, was someone adding bang for the buck? Sad American chimed in to say that at least the meat was fortified with iron and lead, and Thomas made sure to tell the world, quote, my meat is always loaded. Honestly, I personally just feel bad for the Albertsons employees who tampered with evidence. I'm sure they'll be grilled, but how could they have known how much would be at stake? And that's the news gone by for Saturday, December 8th, 2012. Please send your comments, questions, and burger bullets to Dave's Gone By at AOL.com. That's Dave Like My Name, Dave's Gone By at AOL.com. If you prefer, You can snail mail Dave Lefkowitz, care of Dave's Gone By, P.O. Box 31, Greeley, Colorado, 80632. That's Box 31, Greeley, Colorado, 80632. Share whatever you like, but please, no giant refrigerators. I like the cold, but not defrost. Back after this.
10: Pat and docile, big and dumb They look so stupid They aren't much fun Cows aren't fun They eat to grow Grow to die Die to be et at the hamburger fry Cows well done Nobody thunk it, nobody knew No one imagined the great cow guru Cows are one. He hid in the forest, read books with great zeal. He loved Che Guevara, a revolutionary. Veal, cow's a tongue. He spoke about justice, but nobody stirred. He felt like an outcast, alone in the herd. Cow doll drums. He moved. We must fight, escape or we'll die. Cows gathered around cause the stakes were so high bad cow pun but then he was captured stuffed into a crate loaded on to a truck where he rode to his fate cows are bummed he was a scrawny calf who looked rather woozy no one suspected he was packing an oozy cows with guns they came with a needle stick in his thigh. He kicked for the groin. He pissed in their eye. Cowwell hung. Knocked over a tractor and ran for the door. Six gallons of gas flowed out on the floor. The run cows run. He picked up a bullhorn and jumped up on the hay. We are free roving bovines. We run free today. We will fight for bovine freedom And hold our large heads high We will run free with the buffalo Or die Cows with guns They crash the gate great stampede, tipped over milk truck, torched all the feed, cows have fun, sixty police cars were piled in a heap, covered in cow pies, covered up deep, much cow dung, black smoke rising, and darken in the day, twelve burning McDonald's, have it your way. We will fight for bovine freedom And hold our largest high We will run free with the buffalo Or die Cows with guns The president said, enough is enough these uppity cattle it's time to get tough cow dung clung the newspapers gloated folks sighed with relief tomorrow at noon they would all be ground beef cows on buns the cows were surrounded they waited and prayed they moved their last moves they chewed their last hay Cows outgunned. Order was given to turn cows to whoppers, enforced by the might of ten thousand coppers. But on the horizon, surrounding the shoppers, came the deafening roar of chickens in choppers. We will fight for bovine freedom and hold our large heads high. We will run. Buffalo or
3: die! Oh, oh!
10: Cows with guns.
5: Shalom, damn it! This is Rabbi Saul Solomon with a rabbinical reflection for the week of December 9th, 2012.
0: Happy Hanukkah, everybody! What a joy to find ourselves lighting the menorah, spinning the dreidel, eating the latkes, and making believe we're not jealous of the people across the street celebrating Christmas. December, the very fulcrum of winter, is the perfect time for a holiday that brings us all together for food and fun. Actually, January would be better because December is still close to Thanksgiving and you have more football, but I'm not one to bitch. To be honest, Hanukkah is not the most important holiday. Passover, when we got the hell out of Egypt, that was bigger.
5: Shavuot, where God gave us the Torah, that's a big one too. Yom Kippur, where we beg Hashem to forget what a bunch of schmucks we are.
0: Pretty major. Hanukkah merely celebrates a military victory. Jerusalem was under the control of Syrians and Greeks who forbade the practice of Judaism. Matisyahu not the reggae, the rebel, Yahu and his family rebelled, killed a few people, and took to the hills for training. They came back as an army and forced the Greeks out of the Holy Land. When Jews went to reclaim the great temple, they saw that it had been defiled, pigs were slaughtered on the altar, false idols were placed in positions of worship, a giant screen was turned to QBC. The Jews immediately set about purifying the synagogue. And they probably also repainted a little, because there was chipping and you could see the primer. Anywho, they started to burn some ritual oil in the candelabra. There was only a teeny bit left, so they figured it would burn
5: for a day or two. What a shock when that minuscule drop of oil stayed lit for eight full days! I had an uncle who stayed lit for ten days, but it took him a case of Jack Daniels to do it. Eight days was just
0: long enough to re-consecrate the temple. Long enough to make our children say, Eh, it's just chocolate money, but we get it for a week. What is the modern significance of Hanukkah? What do we learn from this festival of lights? First of all, we learn that you can do almost anything if you put your mind to it one Jewish family defied the laws of the land and created a revolution. Instead of bowing before the Greeks, because we all know Greeks like it when people bend over, they triumphed as the Maccabees. Mac, because they became the Syrians' Macdaddies. Fees, because they stung the enemy and the Tuchus. We also learn that miracles happen if you let a little faith go a long way. Have you ever bought a light bulb that was supposed to last a year, and a decade later the thing is still working? It happens. In the hands of Hashem, time is a malleable construct. Sometimes, when I give a sermon, people tell me, they look at their watch and it's been twenty minutes, but it feels like seven hours. A miracle! Most importantly, We learn from the Hanukkah holiday that things can look as bleak and horrible as the schmutz on the bottom of a toaster oven, but Hashem gives us the blessing of change. To quote Bob Dylan, the wheel's still in spin. 2200 years ago, the temple was trashed and out of Jewish hands, and then a week later it's ready for kosher catering. when we look at the crisis in the Middle East, or the fiscal cliff, or the music of Kid Rock, we have to say, it's all right. The world turns, and nothing truly lasts forever, except an Orthodox Seder. But that's a different holiday. This one is Hanukkah with candles and dreidels and latkes and Adam Sandler and jelly donuts and, thanks to fracking, enough oil to last
5: eight centuries. Dreidel, 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 I made you out of plexiglass, and if you don't like Hanukkah, then you can kiss my sexy ass.
0: This has been a rabbinical reflection from Rabbi Saul Solomon, Temple Sons of Bitches in Great Neck, New York. Yay, Gimel!
5: Let's all sing on Chanukah and thank Hashem for this festival. Maccabees restored the peace and kicked the Greeks in the testicles. Hashem did these things for us, so we light us. We give toys to girls and boys, but Chanukah isn't Christmas Eve. Keep your trees and keep your Jesus. We respect, but we don't believe. You can have your Christmas cheer, but keep away we are Jewish here. Why must every Jew endure? Silent night in a Rite Aid store. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer has no business flying here. Santa Claus Ain't ours, he's yours. Jingle bells isn't what we sing. No offense, just common sense. Hanouka is a Jewish thing. Hanukka is a Jewish thing. Hanukkah is a Jewish thing.
3: you call that home.
9: dreidel, 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 little dreidel made of clay. I have a little dreidel, I made it out of clay. And when it's dry and ready, then dreidel I shall play. Oh, dreidel, 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 I made it out of clay. And when it's dry and ready,
4: then dreidel I shall play. It has a lovely It's too tired. It drops and then I win. Oh, dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. With legs so long and thin.
10: And when it gets too tired, it drops and then I win. My dreidel's always playful. It loves to dance and spin. A happy game of dreidel. Come play now, let's begin. Oh, dreidel, dreidel,
9: dreidel. It loves to dance and spin. A happy game of dreidel.
10: Come play Speaking, um. trade-off.
0: telling us to light a candle rather than curse the darkness, and of course Jewish people will be lighting eight candles, or that's only one day relief really. there's first they're going to light two candles then three then four then up to eight over the Hanukkah holiday for this coming week we also heard the dragel song courtesy of the groove barbers if you recognize that voice it is Sean Altman of Jumungus one of our guests here in the neighborhood a few months ago who's providing the lead vocals on that and in that group and we heard an excerpt of Jane Sibbery's song Temple for Reclaiming the Great temple from the Greeks and the Syrians for the holiday. Got to thank Rabbi Saul Solomon for his rabbinical reflection on the Hanukkah holiday. Also thanking once more John Goodman for bringing us the life and music and history of his father Dickie Goodman to the neighborhood. Really good to talk to him. Thank you also to Sam Wood, the general manager of this radio station, who makes sure things keep airing along swimmingly, and to my lovely and darling wife, Joyce, who, um, you know, who, wow, I know she's listening, so that's why I'm a little bit tongue-tied, but whom I love very, very much, and who I get to watch roller skate in just a couple of hours, ooh, Yes. So, not sure who the guest will be next week on Dave's Gone By, or if we'll even have a guest. It may just be music and me, but uh, it's definitely worth tuning in for next Saturday from 10 in the morning till 1 in the afternoon, Mountain Time, on uncradio.com. Want to let you know, of course, that you can always hear archived episodes of the show at Dave's Gone By. In fact, we'll be putting up this show in the archives in a day or two, but we have them going all the way back to the first episode in 2002. They're almost all there for free at davesgoneby.com Drop me an email at dave'sgoneby@aol.com. at AOL.com. And a quick reminder about some friends in the neighborhood. You can catch Alice Ripley in A Civil War Christmas, the new Paula Vogel play at New York Theatre Workshop, now through December 30th. Also, Starting December sixteenth, uh, well, just for two nights, Frank Wildhorn and friends will be at Birdland on West Forty-fourth Street in Manhattan. Uh, let's see, TJ and Dave are back at the Barrow Street Theater from for this weekend, from the eighth through the tenth. And don't forget to stu- to visit. The Village Voice and read Alan Sherstool's column Studies in Crap. Catch Carrie Hoffman in My Sinatra at Sophia's in Midtown Manhattan. See Andrew Goffman in The Accidental Pervert. It's only playing, hmm, it says through the eighth. Is this his last day? Because he's kept extending. Check it out, The Accidental Pervert at the 13th Street Theater and Perfect Crime at the Snapple Theater Center, starring Katherine Russell. Everybody listen to David Kenny's Everything Old is New Again, Sunday nights on New York's WBAI-FM, streaming online at WBAI.org, and everyone subscribe to drdemento.org. Oh, and I got a letter or a nice little email from Bob Cudmore of WVTL Radio. I've been on his morning show a bunch of times. And when he got the email about last week's show involving Joey Reynolds, the veteran radio broadcaster, he said, Wow, Joey Reynolds, I was on his show once and he had snacks from the Second Avenue Deli. Yep, he absolutely did. I don't. I, I don't feed anybody. I, I barely have anything myself. I'm too cheap. But not cheap with the entertainment and with my time and with my thanks. To all of you for listening, we're going to go out with one more uh, piece of music from the late, great Dave Brubeck, who died this past week, one day shy of his 92nd birthday. This is, well, what could be more appropriate than a song that is called Thank You? And thank you for listening. Thanks to David Brubeck and Gone Bye. <laughs>